Thanks, Doug. Well, I was thoroughly intrigued by Mr. Rogers as a child. I grew up in prime, uh, the prime Mr. Rogers era, and my parents would say I would watch him in a trance-like state when I was about Sailor's age. And his intro song was iconic. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Could you be mine? Would you be mine? Yeah, won't you be my neighbor? And he'd replace his suit jacket with a sweater, and every one of those sweaters his mother made him. Did you know that? His mom made him those sweaters. And he'd, he replaced his work shoes with slippers, and he wanted to communicate that he was coming home from his job to, to hang out and to speak and teach with his television neighbor. And that was to be a more casual time for Mr. Rogers and his television neighbor. So the change of clothing, it kind of worked to send that message. Whenever I study today's passage, I think of Mr. Rogers taking off and, and putting on. Mr. Rogers' change signified a shift in his day. He took off his old, worn work clothes and he put on his comfort wear to signify that he was ready to enter a new part of his day. A significant change has happened in our lives when we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And Paul wants us to dress accordingly. And as we will see, there are certain things that he wants us to take off, he wants us to put off, and there are certain things that he wants us to put on. Well, what do you mean? Are you talking that we should wear suits and, you know, not short jean shorts to church and all that sort of stuff? Like, what are you talking about? Well, we're going to unpack that in today's passage. So turn to Colossians 3, please. Turn to Colossians 3, get out God's word, get out your phone. We're going to be underlining things. We're going to be highlighting things. So I encourage you to have God's word in front of you. And you'll kind of see the reason why in, in today's passage. It actually tells us uh, that we should be doing that. We should be letting God's word be the center of what we do. And so look at Colossians 3. We have been for a while in the teaching portion of, of the letter. And so he's combated a lot of heresy, a lot of false teaching. And now we've been to the practical application portion of the letter. Now, this is what it means for you. And so Paul says this in chapter 3. If then... You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Underline, seek the things. That's going to be a major theme in our passage today. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also will appear with him in glory. And so here's how he's starting out this section. He's saying, since you've been raised with Christ, you're a new creation. You have been given a new power source for living this new life. And because Christ is above, it's the idea that Christ is in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God. We too should seek the things that are above. And here's what he's saying. We're not to focus on man-made philosophies and practices, the earthly way of doing things that we once walked in. We are to seek out Christ-like values and virtues, those things that are above, and live out 
those heavenly, heavenly realities. Above is where we truly belong. Above is where we're going to end up. It's just a way to talk about being with God, in God's presence. The idea is you've been hidden with Christ. Underline that in verse uh, 3. You have been hidden with Christ. You are a citizen of heaven because of your relationship with Jesus. But one couldn't tell that by just physically looking at you. Like, I, you know, we can't tell uh, if you're a citizen of heaven or not. We can maybe tell by the way you act, but just by the way you look, it's hidden in that sense. But one day, when Jesus comes back, that citizenship will be fully revealed. And so here's what Paul's doing in this first section. He's saying, you have been raised with Christ. You are something new with a new heavenly identity. And he wants us to live out those heavenly principles and values. He wants us to seek what is above, God's way of doing things. And for the rest of this passage, he unpacks what it means to do just that. So look at verse 5. Look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetedness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So the idea is if it belongs to your old way of life, if it belongs to your old way of doing things, the earthly way of doing things, Paul says, kill it. He says, put it to death. Put it out of its misery. And sometimes we think that as long as our sin is manageable, we're doing okay. As long as we can kind of control our sin, it's not getting out of hand, things are okay. If that's you, it's like owning a tiger. If you watch Tiger King this summer, you know what I'm talking about. That story never ends well. People who own tigers, it just never ends well. You love the tiger, you pet the tiger, and you know it's a dangerous animal, but you think to yourself, man, I have it under control. I've domesticated this thing. And then before you know it, the tiger bites your arm off. It rips off your arm. And that's, it happens over and over and over again. You cannot domesticate a tiger. You cannot domesticate your sin. Do not tolerate it. Do not think you can control it. You need to put it to death before it puts you to death. And so what are we to put to death? Let's read this again. Look at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetedness, which is idolatry. Those first four all have to deal with sexual immorality, every kind of sexual act outside of marriage. Now, the church back then was full of Gentiles. And if you were a Gentile, you came from a sexually driven culture, much like our culture today. Sometimes we think it was so different back then. They were wild then, they are wild today. We live in a sexually driven culture. In 2016, Barna concluded that 62% of teenagers have received a sexual image on their cell phone. That was six years ago. I guarantee you that number has gone up. I guarantee you it's over 75% of youth have seen a sexual, ex sexually explicit image on the internet, on their cell phone, on their computer. 
72% of Christian young adults actively seek out pornography on the internet. Three out of five divorces cite porn as a major factor. Half of all proclaiming Christians think it's acceptable and even good to have sex outside of marriage. I mean, we live in a sexually driven culture, and Paul tells us we need to put those things to death. It was prevalent then, it's prevalent now. And he adds covetedness, which is idolatry. And so sexual sin, covetedness, all of those things can become idolatry. John Calvin said, our hearts are idol-making factories. Our hearts are just prone to make anything ultimate in our lives something other than God. We constantly turn to other things to meet our needs and desires instead of God. But God alone deserves our hearts. Those things will let you down, so put them to death. Kill them, murder them, do not play around with them, throw them off, get rid of them. Paul says God's wrath is coming against these things, and that's a warning. God is going to, at some point or another, come and, and judge us. It's not a very popular thing to talk about as a pastor. But those who consistently pursue sin, those whose lives are marked by idolatry, those, those people will not fare well. Look at verse 7. In these two you once walked when you were living in them. This is the life you once lived. You dressed just like everybody else, but now you are different, so live accordingly. Look at verse 8. We'll kind of sum up this passage. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. So we had a list of, of sexual sin and idolatry. Now we have another list of things we're to put off, to throw away, to kill, that are social sins. These are sins that undermine community. Community, Christian community is built on truth and love. And things like anger and malice and gossip, those things undermine the body of Christ. They undermine the Christian community. So many churches have been taken down by slander have been taken down by anger. I mean, people getting in fistfights at meetings where you're supposed to vote on something, people yelling at each other, people turning on each other. Those things divide and disrupt the unity of the church. I mean, if Jesus walked into this room today, most of us would just be in awe. Like we would drop on our knees, we would worship him, we would serve him, we would praise him, we would listen to his teaching. None of us would think about hurting Jesus, correct? Like, nobody's about to walk up to Jesus and punch him in the stomach. You wouldn't do that. But yet, every time we slander, every time we gossip, every time we, we give in to anger at other people in this body, we're actually hurting the body of Christ. We're doing that very thing that seems so ridiculous to us. Paul's like, throw off all that junk, throw off that junk, kill it, murder it, get rid of it. Don't dress in those things. Idolatry, social sin, deception, sexual sin, put it off. And now 
Paul will elaborate why. Why should we throw those things off? Look at verse 9. Do not lie to one another. That's finishing up that section. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of the Creator. Don't do those things because you have put off the old self and you have put on the new. A qualitative change has happened in your life when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You you are something altogether new that has already been accomplished. These are in the aorist. It's it's a way of saying it's already been done. That's, That's the verb tense. Sin is no longer your master. You can now obey, honor, and please God. You're a new creation. But, but, but look here in verse 9. It says, put on the new self. Right after it says, you've put off the old and put on the new. In verse 9 it says, have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So what does he mean here? It's something that's already been done, but yet it's something that's still continuing to happen. Well, as new creations, yeah, sin is no longer your master, but sin is still present in your life. And if you deny that, you're going to have a lot of issues. Just denying that you're, you're sinful. In fact, John says if we do that, we're a liar. If we claim to have no sin, uh, we are a liar. So sin is still something present in our lives. And so there's a continual process of bringing our behavior in line with our new identity. This process is called sanctification, of becoming more like Jesus. And, and here's the beauty is God drives this process of continual renewal in our lives. Yet we still have a responsibility to work it out. We're, we are to work out bringing our behavior in line with our new identity. It's why he can say, you have already put on and then command us to ongoingly put on in the same section. In a sense, Paul is saying, become what you are. Become what you already are. Or he's saying, you are this, now be this. You are this, now be this. Put off the old self because you're something new and you belong to a new community where sinful division no longer separates us. Look at verse 11. Here, There is not Greek or Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and all. The gospel breaks down man-made walls. There is no more us versus them. And so Paul isn't just concerned about us being a new person. He's concerned about us, us collectively becoming a new community. If we really live out these values and throw these things off, we're going to come together and and those man-made walls that say us versus them are going to be torn down. And just, just a little side note about this, because we have to talk about this, especially living in a place like Castle Rock. Martin Luther King noted that at 11 a.m. on Sunday morning, when we stand and sing, Christ has no east or west, we stand at the most segregated hour in this nation. Churches segregate racially, economically, educationally, and socially. I heard just the other day of a pastor being told that that's okay. 
Because people really just want to be around people like themselves. So we should just let that be. If that's your take, if you're just simply okay with that, heaven is going to be a very uncomfortable place for you. It is, because heaven is going to be very diverse, more diverse than we're used to here in Castle Rock. The church is healthier when it isn't homogenous. The church is healthier when people from all different Races, colors, you know, lifestyles, backgrounds, socioeconomic statuses are coming together to worship God. And in Castle Rock, that's hard because we're a town of a lot of honkies, man. We got white people everywhere. And so we have to make sure that we go the extra mile and connect with people who just aren't like us. Don't be weirdos, but just connect with people who aren't like you, not just racially, but economically, educationally, socially. Be around different people. If you're just around people like yourself, you're going to miss that. Okay, getting off that little box right there. We've been given a new identity and a new community. So seek things above by first taking off certain vices. So, so far it's been take off, take off, take off. Well, we need to be dressed in something. It's not appropriate to walk around naked in this sense. And so we're to put on something. What are we to put on? Look at verse 12 through 14. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Notice verse 12. It says, because you are already holy and beloved. It doesn't say do these things to become holy and beloved, but you are already holy and beloved. So you need to put on these things. You need to put on compassion. You need to be merciful with others. You need to put on kindness. Are you, when people say you're kind, I don't know if people say that about me. You're big, but are you kind? But am I kind? Humility, put others before yourself as Christ did for us. Meekness, this is the opposite of anger. It's tenderness. Guys, you can be tough and tender at the same time. It's being patient. It's letting your fuse be long. Are you patient? Are you a patient person? Are you patient with yourself? Are you patient with others? And notice, just like before, where they were community-driven vices, these are community-driven virtues. They're all to be played out with other people. We're to bear with one another. This carries the sense of tolerance. We're to tolerate one another. That doesn't mean we tolerate false teaching, but we bear with one another. We tolerate with one another, even though some of us in this room are weird. Some of us are, guys, people in the church are weird. They're difficult Did he just call me weird and difficult? Yes, you can be, I can be difficult. Uh, I'm sure my wife didn't say that. Doug got got to the amen before my wife did. Um, Quirky, difficult. We're We're to bear with one another and walk with one another and help one another. We're told to forgive one another. Guys, we can't do this thing called Christian fellowship if we're not willing to forgive one another of our sins because if you're here long enough, you're going to do something to hurt somebody or somebody is going to do something to hurt you. 
So we have to be forgiving with one another. And we're to put all these different things on, like different pieces of clothing. But above all else, we're to put on love, which binds everything together, like a belt or like an overcoat that holds everything into place. Love is the all-inclusive command and the foundation of all other virtues. Things like compassion, humility, gentleness, and patience attain their full power when they are unified and empowered by love. We can't do those things if we don't love one another. So if you're not patient, if you're not humble with other people, if you're not compassionate, deep down, the question is, is do you really love them? Because love will drive us to those things. And there's much, you can tell there's much where to put on here. Individually, and we'll see corporately. Look at verse 15 through 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul calls us as a new people from all different backgrounds, from all different lifestyles, all different cultures, making up this new community where all the vices are being put off, all the virtues are being put on to live in peace with one another. That love for one another should lead to peace with one another. Christ has purchased peace for us through his death and resurrection between us and the Father through his work on the cross. That vertical peace, that reconciliation should always demonstrate itself and play itself out horizontally. We have made peace with God, therefore we should make peace with others. Thanksgiving. We're to be thankful. Thanksgiving is mentioned in verse 15 and verse 16 and verse 17. When he's talking about the collective church, when we get together, we should be thankful. We should constantly be thanking God, acknowledging our dependence on him and thanking him for everything that he has given us, how he works in our lives. We should thank him for everything, including salvation. We're to let the word of Christ, the message of Christ dwell in us through teaching, through preaching God's word like this, admonishing. That's the idea of helping each other and correcting one another and through singing. We're to let God's word dwell in us through teaching, admonishing, and singing. That's kind of interesting. This idea of singing is is related to letting God's word dwell in us. And sometimes we think worship is for us, Um, Worship is first and foremost about glorifying God and worshiping God. But it has a second function, and that is to move God's word to dwell in our hearts, to saturate our hearts, to manifest itself in in our lives. And so it has a, a pedagogical function, a teaching function for each and every one of us. And sometimes people are like, well, why don't you sing this song? It's on K Love. It's really great. I cry every time it comes on. I just get moved by it. And, and sometimes we're like, well, it, it may be a good song, but it's really not rooted in God's word. It doesn't move us to own biblical truth. It, it makes us feel good a little bit. And, and so maybe that's why we pick and choose the songs that we do. But he says, whatever you do, 
whether it be in the corporate gathering or outside of it. Do it for the purpose of honoring God and glorifying Jesus with thankful hearts. So let's kind of put everything together here. To seek things above. If we're going to seek what is above, we need to throw off everything that is earthly, that is part of our old life. Sin, idolatry, covetedness, deception. And we're to put on Christ-like heavenly values. Kindness, gentleness. We're to be forgiving as Christ was forgiving with us. And the verb here, seek, right in verse 1, seek, that verse, or that, that verb is in the present tense, which indicates in the Greek, ongoing action. So we're to continually seek the things that are above. It's not like, hey, on Sundays, I'm going to seek the things that are above, and then Monday through Saturday, I'm going to just hang out down here and, and just kind of live my life, and then on Sunday again. It's this idea of daily, hourly, minute by minute, I'm going to seek to put on Christ's likeness. I'm going to put on these things. Now, I don't have a lot of daily habits. I mean, I have some daily habits. Most of them are probably bad. Uh, but one of the things I do not like doing is, and I really, I'm being honest, I'm not just making this up. I hate getting ready in the morning. Just for And the guys, it takes me like 10 minutes because I don't have hair uh, and, you know, and things like that. But it's like, I just, I hate the process of like getting in the shower and brushing my teeth and then putting on clothes and jeans and socks and shoes, making my breath. I just wish I could just lay there and just have it all done for me. And I could just walk out the door after I get up. And so I really hate getting ready in the morning. So what would it look like for me as I start my day to slow down? And as I'm getting up, as I'm showering, as I'm brushing my teeth, as I'm putting on clothes, what would it look like for me to, to pray, God, dress me in patience and gentleness. God, clothe me in compassion. Help me to wear, you know, as I'm putting on, you know, a really nice shirt or some jeans, help me to wear kindness and humility. So as I'm getting dressed and I'm getting ready, I'm spiritually preparing my heart for the day to, and asking for God's help to put on those things. And, and here's my challenge for you this week. I, I want you to do that. I want you to try to remember to do that. If you forget and it's Wednesday, just pick it up on Wednesday. Don't be like, ah, I already made a mess. I forgot. I just forget the week. But pick a, pick a vice something at the top of this passage to put off, pick a virtue, something at the bottom of this passage to put on and pray away at the beginning of your day as you're getting ready. And I know there's something on that list that you're struggling with. And I know there's something on that list that you're struggling to put on. We'll talk about here in a second. Furthermore, if we want to dress for heaven, uh, if you want to dress for heaven, you're going to need a fashion advisor. And what I mean by that is every husband has walked down the stairs with an outfit of their liking only to have their wife say, absolutely not. You're not going to wear Under Armour sweatpants to Red Robin with a dinner out with people that we haven't really met yet. That's a true story. <laughs> 
<laughs> I came down with, and I'm like, but, but I want to eat a lot of food, and jeans are restrictive. <laughs> and so I want to wear my Under Armour sweats. It's like, no. You need somebody like that in your life spiritually. And generally, it's good for men to have some, another guy in your life to do that, for women to have somebody else in your life do that. But you need somebody to point out when something that you're wearing has gone out of style. And it needs to be burned. It needs to be put down, thrown away. Man, you've been, you've been angry as of late. Man, your tongue has been loose and doing a lot of destruction. It's time to put that piece of clothing down. It's time to throw it away. You husbands know what I'm talking about, going through your T-shirt collection and throwing certain things away because A, you don't either fit into it or B, it has holes everywhere, but it's your favorite shirt. You've got to throw it away. You also need somebody to say, man, what you're wearing is Christ-like. Man, I see God working in your life. I see him welling up patience and kindness and humility. And you know what? That looks good on you. That looks good on you. We need God and godly people to help us dress what we confess. I like that. I came up with that. We need godly people to help us dress what we confess. Guys, we we confess that our life has been changed by Jesus Christ. We confess that we are new creations. Our hope and future is secure. We confess that we have been, we have joined Jesus in his death. We have died to sin. We have died to death. We have been resurrected with Christ to new life. We are something altogether new. That is what we confess. So the question is, is does your dress align with that? Does your dress align with what you confess? And if not, you A, first need to go to God. You need to ask God for help because this whole idea of throwing off sin and putting on righteousness, that whole idea is very difficult on our own. It it sounds easy in theory, but it's very hard to practice on a daily basis. So we must ask God who is working and willing in us to help us with those things. God, help me to put down this sin. Some of us have never said that to God. We're struggling in sin. We're dealing with sin. But we've never really asked God to help me kill this. Help me put it down. God, help me to be more like you. Help me in this area where I'm impatient to be patient and kind and tender and merciful and compassionate. And second, find godly people. Find godly people who can be honest with you about what you're wearing. You're dressed You are to dress as citizens of heaven. Put on clothing that matches your claims. Put to death the old and with the help of God and others, throw on the new. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.